provide with the credentials of his office, unquote. But, but Paul was not chosen of men or sent by men. He was sent by God. He was sent by God. And, you know, we're not saved by men, nor are we sent by men. The calling and sending is of the Lord. In Acts chapter 13, we note that, that uh, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. So we see the calling and sending is of the Lord. You know, we see this throughout the Bible. For example, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And again, the word us there refers to the Trinity, the, the Godhead. But who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. In Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I like what Amos says in Amos 7, not because I can relate to this. Amos 7, 14, 15 says, Then said Amos, of course Amaziah, who was the false prophet for, for um, yeah, what was the northern kingdoms? Um, Jeroboam, for Jeroboam, he was a false prophet. And he said, uh, you know, uh, this, this uh, uh, Amos here, he, you know, he's, he's, he's teaching treason. And he's speaking against the, you, Jeroboam. And, and you need to go away from here. You, this, is the, this is the king's house. This is, this is the king's house. Don't prophesy here. And Amos' response was, then answered Amos, said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. So the sending, or the calling, is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. But the sending, and he's going to say, Preacher, you're contradicting yourself. The sending is also the fruit of the witness of men. Notice, in Acts 9, 5, it says, when the Lord appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, he, he made this statement. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, I've done a lot of study of that verse. What in the world does that mean? And I've come to this conclusion that Paul was under conviction. You know, and people respond differently to conviction. Some people, they, they get, you know, um, very angry. And Paul was very angry. And he took his anger and his hatred out against the Christians. And that was what he was doing. But the Lord said, it's hard for you. It's hard for you to do this. You know, Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You, know, you, you may resist the Lord, but you're going to find it's a hard way to live. And Paul was having a hard time. You see... You know, this, this sending or this calling ultimately was the fruit of the witness of men. Men had, he had seen the witness or the testimony of men uh, before him. Uh, of course, Stephen, you know, uh, standing and holding the coats of them that stoned Stephen, he heard Stephen's testimony. And I'm sure he heard others that he had arrested and, 
and put in prison. And we see this taught elsewhere in the Bible that, that salvation is witnessed of by man in Acts 30, 8, 31. When Philip went, was joined to the Ethiopian eunuch and he was reading Isaiah the prophet and, and Philip says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Again, in Acts chapter 10, same thing. The Lord appears to, to Cornelius and tells him, doesn't tell him how to be saved. He tells him to send for a man that will tell you how to be saved. Oh, the Lord does the saving and the Lord does the sending. But man's involved in the labor for that, is the witness of that, to that end, and it's the fruit of men's labors. Second, Second Corinthians 3, 3, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, says, for as much as you manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, written not with tables of ink, but in the heart. Uh, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 10, speaking to the, to, the, to the nation of Israel, the Lord says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall be after me. Now three times it, it uses phrases similar to this in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 12, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there is no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses. See, Israel was to be a witness to the nations around them. And they were during Solomon's reign and during David's reign. Isaiah 44, 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee that from, from that time have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So the salvation is witnessed of by man. Man's the one that gives witness or bears witness to the salvation that God offers mankind. And so, you know, so we see here that the fruit of the witness of men, but we also notice that the sending is also recognized by men. You know, the sending is of the Lord. The calling and sending is of the Lord, but it's recognized by men. In Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> follow me here, I'm going down a rabbit trail. Acts chapter 1. Of course, you know, Judas has hung himself. The disciples think it's right to replace Judas. And, you know, there's discussion of whether that is actually what they should have done or whether the Paul was his replacement. But the Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to go there. But anyway, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. But anyway, in verse 21, it says, Wherefore of these men, this is Peter speaking, you know, he's been chosen to be the pastor. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of a John until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, which was surnamed Justice, and Mattathias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. 
So here we see one who's chosen or recognized by the other 11 apostles to be joined with them as the 12 apostles. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 13, we already noticed this, but Acts 13, verses 1 through 4, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto solution, from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So here, here it is, this sending, or this choosing of the Lord, is recognized by the church, by men. But you know, there was a time in the scriptures when there weren't, they weren't. Forward to Acts chapter 15. You remember there was a dissension or a discussion between the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch. And uh, in Acts 15, verse 24, um, the church at Jerusalem sends letters with Barnabas and, and, uh, and Paul back to the church at Antioch, and they said this in verse 24, Forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went out from us. Notice, they went out from us. It doesn't say they were sent out from us. No, they went out from us. And have what? Troubled you. They've troubled you. With words, subverting your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So here were some that went out. No, they weren't sent out. They went out. You know, it makes me, you know, it makes me think. It doesn't really tell us, but they went out preaching a different gospel. And probably they went out because they didn't agree with the church at Jerusalem to start with. You know, John says they went out from us because they were not all of us. So these went out, and they troubled the churches of the Gentiles. They caused problems. They weren't sent out. They just decided they were going to go out, and they went out. Uh, so the sending is recognized by men. Uh, I want you to know the second thing. So, so he's sent by God. Second thing here, we see the ministry of God is the work of the brethren. Notice verse 2. It says, And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. So he's, he's writing to the churches of Galatia, and he says, All the brethren which are with me. Now, uh, in, in Acts 13, you have Paul and Barnabas and John Mark went with him on that first missionary journey. As we think about all the brethren here, James Fawcett Brown in a commentary said, all the brethren, whereas I am not alone in my doctrine, this is what Paul's saying, I am not alone in my doctrine, all my colleagues in the gospel work traveling with me, Gaius, Aristarchus, Sopater, Secundus, Timotheus, Tychicus, Trophimus, some or all of these join with me, and of course, 
Luke was always with him. He said, not that these were joint authors with Paul of the epistle, but joined him in the sentiments and salutations, quote-unquote. So, you know, a ministry, even a missionary ministry, is not an individual. It's not an individual. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> Colossians 4. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. So Paul sent Tychicus, who worked with Paul, and he sent him to Colossae. He sent him for the purpose of finding out how things were at Colossae. And that was a church that Paul started. He says, With an SMS, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salute you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, that be John Mark, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervent you in your prayers, that he might that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Uh, and then verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet, greet you. So we see here from this passage and others that even Paul's ministry, Paul's ministry, when we talk about Paul the great missionary and all the things that Paul did, well, it wasn't just Paul. It was Tychicus, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, John Mark, Gaius, Aristarchus, Onesimus. You know, there was there's a whole bunch of them. They didn't all work with him all at the same time. In fact, some of them ended up in prison with him. Some of them he'd send here or send there uh, to to meet a need or to find out what was going on. Of course, you know, they didn't have email and all the modern technology we have nowadays, so they had to travel and go to those places to find out what was really going on. And, of course, sometimes letters, but, but that was, of course, transported by individuals too. They didn't have Pony Express, I don't believe, back then either. Uh, so a ministry is not, even, even in Paul's day, a ministry is not an individual. It's an assembly of saints working together. Now, that's a church. Assembly of Saints, a missionary. You know, we, we sometimes think a missionary is an individual ministry. Not really. It's not. It's not individual. It is usually churches fellowshipping together in prayer and financial support to send someone to evangelize and establish churches. So, so it's not an individual missionary is not an individual. He's not an entity unto himself. No, it's a joint effort. Now, you know, as a missionaries, we think about the missionaries we support in foreign places. Uh, those, are, those are joint efforts of various churches. And they're really accountable to all those churches. But particularly, they're accountable to their home church. You know, and and you know whatever a home church would say about a missionary, we would have to uh, have to uh, uh, go along with and 
and uh, support unless we knew there were some extenuating circumstances otherwise. Um, but you see, this gives, this does two things for a ministry, or even for Paul here, it does two things for him. It did two things for him, and it does for a ministry today. Number one is it gives accountability. Paul, think about it, Paul and Barnabas were sent out of Antioch. When they came back for the missionary journey, where'd they go? They went back to Antioch and reported all the things that God had done to the Gentiles, with the Gentiles. Um, so, so they reported back to Antioch, and they stayed there a whole year, I think in six months, again, and ministered uh, there in Antioch before they went out again. And, you know, accountability, you think about accountability, it helps to keep you right. You know, Proverbs says, as iron sharpeth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. So accountability helps you keep you right. It also helps you to keep focus and not get discouraged by trials and the tribulations of life. You know, think of all the... Well, take to Francis, for example. When George and Joyce decided to quit coming to Bible studies and turn away from the truth and not receive it. That's discouraging. That's discouraging. And Jimmy, there was another one they had. You know, all those things are discouraging. You know, and, 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 and we, under, we can understand that because it happens here. <laughs> but if, if you were over there, and it's just you and Kelly and Timothy. If they were on their own, think how much harder that'd be, that would be to bear without knowing they have churches back here that are supporting them and praying for them and encouraging them. Your know, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You know, Paul endured a lot of temptations, a lot of trials. And in fact, it says there in that verse that they're common to man. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. Now, your, your trial, your temptation may not be exactly the same as mine, but we, everybody has them. You know, Abraham got discouraged waiting on God and went to Hagar. Joseph, think of the trials that Joseph endured, or Job, or Moses. Moses got discouraged and struck the walk twice instead of speaking to it, or David, when his own son turns against him. Solomon, Daniel, you know, all the trials and tests these men went through, Peter, who had to flee for his life from Herod, and Paul and his missionary journeys and all the hardships. And, and John, history tells us he was boiled with oil. Now, he lived and died a natural death. But according to history, he was boiled in oil. And we could go on and on and on. See, all of us have trials, but when there's, when there's somebody that you're accountable to, it encourages you and strengthens you 
in the work of the Lord helps you keep focused, not discouraged in trials and tribulations of life. Secondly, it also adds credibility. It adds credibility to one's ministry. Notice again, it says, and all the brethren which are with me. Now, we know that Paul wrote this letter by himself. He didn't have, I don't think he had help writing it. He says in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ under another gospel. So he's, he's writing it, and I think at the end of the chap, end of chapter 6, he talks about how large a letter, yeah, chapter 6, verse 11, he says, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. So it's obvious that Paul wrote it, but he says, all these brethren that are here with me, that have traveled with me, they believe the same thing that I do. They agree with what I'm writing to you. And that's what James Fawcett Brown says. He says, I am not alone in my doctrine. All my colleagues in the gospel work traveling with me, and he names them, join with me in this. You see, it, it adds credibility to one's ministry. Um, you know, we were talking about this at... Uh, one of the camp meetings about having different speakers in, and, and one person said, what's, what's the advantage? I said, well, it adds credibility. Oh, it isn't only a pastor that says this, and the Sunday school teacher. Oh, it's, it's, other, people, other, other people believe this kind of stuff too. You know? So it is the work, the ministry is the work of the brethren, not just of an individual. And I want you to notice a third thing. Uh, though uh, we are sent by God, and, and, and uh, it is the work is the ministry of the brethren, yet it's the God, grace and peace of God are only from him. Notice verse 3 and 4. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So the grace of God and the peace of God can only come from Him. No man can give them to you. Now, men can help you with it, or women can help you with it. Again, just showing you what the Word of God says, or telling you what the Word of God says. So though man is the mouthpiece, God uses to witness of him only God can give the grace and peace that are his. They are fruits. These things are fruits of a right relationship with the Lord. Of course, grace, we know that grace means the unmerited favor of God, but it also carries with that the favor of God that sustains us and empowers us through our trials and tribulations. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. You know, you know, we often say, you know, grace is the unmerited favor of God, and that is true. But it, it but carries with it the, the enabling power of God, the, the favor of God that enables us or sustains us or empowers us to endure the hardships or the power to 
fulfill the will of God in our lives. Notice verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, notice, His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul said, it was the grace of God that enabled me to labor more than all the other apostles. You know, and he's not minimizing what the other apostles did. But his labor was more extensive than any of the others. He wrote more scripture. He was used of God to pen more scripture than any of the others. So it sustains us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Speaking about the churches of Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Um, and this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and us by the will of God. So, notice again here, he says, it was the grace of God bestowed on the churches that enabled them in, in, in a great trial of affliction to give sacrificially out of their deep poverty. They weren't given what extra they had. No, they were given out of their poverty. They didn't have any extra. But they were enabled, God, by the grace of God, to give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh, again, refers to the grace of God, which enabled him to, to endure it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Lest I be, should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he says, The grace of God was sufficient, or is sufficient, for me to endure this bodily affliction which we're not sure what it is, but many believe it was some kind of an eye problem. And of course, Galatians 6 makes reference to an eye problem. And again, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, in our Savior Jesus Christ. So the grace of God teaches us and enables us to live godly and righteously in this present evil world. I mean, it's an evil world. I don't think any of you would argue with that. It's evil. And it's not always easy to live right in it. But the grace of God enables us empowers us and sustains us it's god's favor on us and so it is the grace of god it can only come from god 
And we also have the peace of God. Now, the word peace uh, means here means quietness or rest or to set at one again. In other words, to bring two together is the idea there. And again, you know, and I like to divide this word peace up into two, two parts. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God. Now, you can't have the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. But I believe you can have peace with God. That's salvation. But it's going to be a little turbulent if you don't, aren't right with God. Now, the peace with God refers to salvation. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So we've been made at one, or we've been reconciled to God. That's the idea. We've been reconciled to God. We're no longer His enemy. But the peace of God is to be spiritually minded. Uh, and it speaks of quietness and of rest. Uh, Philippians, is that familiar uh, passage in Philippians 4, uh, 4 and 5 and 4, or 5 through 7, where he says, Let your moderation be known on all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful of nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, the peace of God requires you to be spiritually minded. It's the fruit of being spiritually minded. This is the fruit of of a sanctified life. Notice in our text, Galatians, verse 5. Verse 5. Going the wrong direction here. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 5, says that who hath delivered us, all right, grace, or verse 4, I'm sorry, who gave himself for our sins, that he might. So he gave himself for our sins. He died for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins. That's, that's salvation. But that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now, we, aren't, we haven't been taken out or away from this present evil world. We're still in it. So when he says to deliver us from this present evil world, it doesn't mean he removes, he's removing us from it. It means he gives us Victory over it. That's what we call sanctification. So, so again, the peace of God here is the fruit of a sanctified life. It is obeying the Lord, doing His will. Notice again he says there in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So it's God's will for us to be delivered or to overcome this present evil world. He has made it possible. And again, it comes by obeying or doing or living according to the will of God. Uh, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law. That's the will of God and nothing shall offend them. In other words, it speaks of quietness, of rest. 
Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So again, the idea there is obeying or doing the will of God, trusting in God uh, for everything, and, 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 and obeying his will. But, you know, we can't have the peace of God and be supportive of or participating in things that are in opposition to the law of God. There's a lot of things going on in our world that are in opposition to the law of God. First John 2, 15 through 17 describes it this way. John, the apostle of love, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In Second in Timothy 4, 6, Paul made this statement. I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand now Paul's sitting in a Roman jail waiting to be executed he knows it's coming he knows it's near but this is what he said you know would that cause you a little trouble I don't know what it would do I know right now, thinking about it causes me a little to feel like I'd be a little troubled, <laughs> to say the least. But Paul said, I'm ready to be offered. The time, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm leaving this old world. What was he saying? He was resting in the fact that this was God's appointed time. I don't think he was fretting about it. Peter, likewise, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and lecture sure, for you can do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. So Paul's writing to fellow believers, and he's trying to encourage them to be faithful to the Lord, to rest in the Lord, and he's ready to be executed. Now, if you go back to John chapter 21, I don't think the situation was quite the same for Peter. Remember in John chapter 21, after Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep or lovest thou me, and then feed my sheep or feed my lambs. And then he said to Peter, when thou was young, not, not quoting here, but when you were young, you went wherever you wanted. But when thou shalt be old, And he spoke the way that Peter would be executed or martyred. 
and many believe he was crucified. You know, they're going to take you where you, thou wouldest not. And Peter, I think, was a little troubled by that because he turned around and he looked at John and said, well, what about him? You know, Peter isn't saying here, in this place, what's going to happen to everybody else? Why does it have to happen to me? No, he's just stating it, that he's ready to depart. He's going to put off his tabernacle, even as the Lord showed him. You see, these were at peace, and this peace can only come from God. You know, we are sent by God. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're his witnesses. We do his work. We labor for him. We have part in the salvation of men and women and the sending of others around the world. But that grace and that peace can only from that can change the hearts of men can only come from God. We're just his mouthpiece. Do you have the peace of God tonight? Do you have the grace of God working in your life to strengthen and sustain you and to enable you to live victorious over this present evil world according to the will of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to our hearts and encourages us, challenges us. And Lord, I pray that you help us as your people to avail ourselves of the grace of God that's bestowed upon us, that we might be faithful, that we might be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Forgive us where we fail. Help us just to, to endure as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Till our Lord comes for us, we pray in Jesus' name.